There are less than 200 days before USC kicks off against San Jose State. It's time to start your countdown clocks. You are Locked On Trojans, your daily podcast on the USC Trojans. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Fight on, everyone. I'm your host, Mark Hulkin, and thank you for making Locked On USC your first listen every day. Whether you're watching me on YouTube or wherever you like to download your podcast, we are free. Thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you're enjoying the show, most of you. If you are watching me on YouTube, do me a favor. There's that red subscribe button. Hit it. Click it. And hit that like button as well. And to all of you who already have, thank you so very, very much. This episode of Locked on USC is brought to you by FanDuel, This, the official sports book of Locked On. You're going to make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com forward slash Locked On to get started today. Thank God spring camp is only 41 days away from starting. By the way, which sounds better, 41 days or one month and 13 days? Doesn't make a difference. Regardless... Uh, spring camp's going to be here a lot quicker than we think. Time flies. As you get older, it really flies. I love mint. <laughs> um, in, as I said, USC kicks off in less than 200 days against San Jose State. Spring camp is 41 days away, depending on when you're uh, watching this Locked on USC episode. However, um, there are going to be other things happening uh, during, I'm sure before, hopefully, so I have stuff to talk about with you guys. Uh, But during and after spring camp, you have the NFL draft. Uh, In in, in fact, in recent news, five USC Trojans were invited to this year's NFL Combine. Uh, Same number as last year, by the way. There's a total of 319 invites that, that go out, and uh, that the NFL Combine takes a takes place in Indianapolis. It'll start February 28th, and it runs through uh, March 6th. Thank you. There it is. Couldn't even read my own notes. So, of the five Trojans who were invited, who has a chance to go in the first round? Five players. I'm going to go over each one of them. Uh, I think wide receiver Jordan Addison is probably the, we'll call the lock for a a first-round draft choice. Remember, he won the Politnikoff in 2021. He had 100 catches and almost 1,600 yards. And then he followed that up last year, that last season when he transferred to USC, uh, 879 yards, and that's despite playing through the second half of the season with an injury. Remember, he got hurt at Utah. So when he did come back, uh, he was available for that UCLA game. Just happened to be his best game in his Trojan career. 11 receptions, 178 yards. So we know that, um, and then we also know that with as far as with Jordan, uh, he, he probably wasn't all the way healthy. At least that we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt because after USC lost to Utah 
in the conference championship game, he chose to bypass the bowl game and prepare for the NFL draft. Um, I've seen him, as far as mock drafts, uh, as in the first round, he can go anywhere from, you know, number 12, Houston, uh, the LA Chargers, number 21, Carolina, number nine, Chicago, I think has, they got a mock in with him at number 13, Philadelphia, Super Bowl, number 31. So we'll see. I, regardless, uh, unless something strange happens where he just, you know, maybe he doesn't do all the interview, interview process or doesn't test out well at the combine. Uh, I pretty much every guru insider has him going in the first round somewhere. His strength, good hands, good route runner. Uh, what else do I have here on him? Oh, and he's a great route runner if he can get off the line of scrimmage. His problem, or his weakness, I should say, is that uh, if, if the defender gets his hands on him, uh, sometimes that can disrupt him, and he's not the strongest guy in the world. So uh, one of the quotes I have here is, NFL hash marks are going to give him more room as a route runner uh, to help him out quick the coverage. He needs it because he's not that strong. End quote. That comes from the personnel director for an NFC team. Uh, second player invited, Travis Dye. Here's the thing. Is he going to be healthy enough to participate? Um, or will he just do the interview session? And then try and uh, get as healthy as possible for, you know, USC's pro day. He's projected as a, as a late round value pick. I I I would love for for Travis to get to get drafted, but you know what? It might be best if he is a free agent because then he can pick the best spot. He and his representatives can pick the best spot for him. Staying on the offense, uh, Andrew Voorhees, All American, first team All Conference. Um, if you didn't know when and when when Voorhees came to USC. It, it, as part of that 2017 class, he's played every position on the offensive line at USC, save for the center spot. So his versatility kind of puts him up another level. Uh, he's obviously being projected as, a, as an interior lineman, but he can play. He can slide outside. We've seen him play tackle both sides of the ball. Very well, mind you, especially at left tackle uh, when he had to slide over last year. Have you ever heard someone use the term he's farmer strong? That's Voorhees. You know, he's he's a big dude, mammoth guy. Uh, but he's he doesn't look like your prototypical, you know, overpowering offensive lineman, you know, all yoked out. He does have that big upper body, upper body, big torso, long arms, and a really stocky lower body. Uh, which you know, so he, he's a powerful dude. Don't get me wrong. It's just when you look at him, he, he it's like you look at him. Sorry, right, let's get into an arm wrestling match with him. Those are the type of guys you don't want to. They are, they don't look incredibly strong. Well, that's what I'm talking about. He's farmer strong. He just keeps on going. Uh, he has unlimited strength. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um. One way he's been described, tremendous natural strength. There you go. 
power, able to dominate at the point of attack and wipe out defenders in the run game. So there you go. Uh, that supports what I was trying to describe. Hopefully you got the, you understood where I was going with. I guess the one weakness uh, that you want to point out with Andrew is if he has to block for a long time, if the play extends itself, he doesn't have the greatest lateral movement. So right now he is a consensus second round pick. Can he slide up into that first round because of his versatility? I think he's going to do incredibly well with the interview process. Very mature, very mature young man. Uh, just got married recently as well. So he's going to be an asset to whichever NFL team drafts him. And uh, like I said, can he slide up to number one because into the first round because of his versatility? Left side or right side, inside or outside. That's a commodity. Uh, the other thing, you know, also is he fought since he was he was at USC. He's fought through injuries, and last, especially last season, he played all the way through uh, until he just couldn't go anymore. So um, I don't know if he's questionable for the combine, but um, if he doesn't partake in some of the events, you'll you'll, you'll understand why. <laughs> Let's flip to the other side of the ball defense. A couple of players for USC. Makai Blackman. He finished the season, three interceptions and 12 pass deflections. Now, if you don't know this about Makai, before he got to USC, he just quietly kept working and getting better and proving himself. Out of high school, he got a few offers, but he ended up going to JUCO. From JUCO, he ended up in Colorado, and he was—he kind of really flew under the right, under the radar. But Dante Williams, Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch—they must have liked what they saw on tape, and they brought him over in the transfer portal for a year. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I got a cold. Let's give a little bit of credit to Dante Williams and the coaching USC coaching staff for not only, you know, Makai is a very confident young man. If you ever listen to him talk, um, let's give credit to the coaching staff for bringing out the skill level to match his confidence. And if you've been paying attention over the past week, he's had a really good week. He had a really good week at the Senior Bowl. So uh, grade, as far as a draft grade, you're looking at a third round value. I'm not sure exactly what that means. It typically means anywhere from the third, fourth. We'll see where he goes. He's going to make a roster. Uh, Makai is just a solid cornerback. And like I said, he just continues to get better each year. He doesn't, he doesn't take no for an answer. And then obviously, I'm saving USC's best player for last, Tuli Tuya Pelotu. Just to remind everybody last year what he did, 22 tackles for loss, 13 and a half sacks. And just kind of condense everything up here. In his three years at USC, we should really call it two and a half years because that COVID year, they only played six games and USC chose not to play in a bowl game. So in his career at USC in two and a half years, 116 tackles, 32 tackles for loss, 21 sacks, four forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Out of breath just saying that. He's a potential first round pick in this draft. Question is, 
um, are his measurables going to get him? You know what it's like at the combine. They like to poke, prod, measure, weigh. You, know, it, it's, you literally are a commodity. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> But that's what it is. Every tenth of a second matters. Um, but here's the thing. Is Thule going to be an interior lineman or an edge defensive end type of lineman at the next level? His position, again, he's another versatile type of player. Uh, and that could be something that helps him slide up into the first round. Because right now, he's again, he's he's on that line, second round, possible potential first round. We're going to see where he tests best in Indianapolis. Uh, again, mostly a consensus second rounder. Um, can he test out well in Indianapolis to kind of bump himself up in that first round? Now, I'm pretty sure this weekend he's going to be watching his big brother Marlon, uh, former Trojan, playing in the Super Bowl for the Eagles. And... Uh, since we just looked into potential draft futures, what about looking into um, future out-of-conference schedules for USC? We're going to talk about that next. But first, we're going to talk about FanDuel. Just talked about the Super Bowl. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party, pardon me, is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And we're really excited about our new sports betting partner, for Locked On, because they're the number one sportsbook in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download download FanDuel now, so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. Listen carefully. You're going to get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your, fet, if your first bet doesn't win okay in other words losing is winning and that reminds me and you some of you will remember this when rick neuheisel former ucla head coach when he said punting is winning okay just saying fanduel is going to bet uh it's going to let you bet on everything from the money line to the point spread to to who scores a touchdown you love those prop bets FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid for your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Okay, so once again, thank you for making Locked on USC your first listen every day. Don't forget to check out our new, brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. Plus, you're going to hear it from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you download your podcast. So on a previous episode of Locked on USC, I did a way too early look ahead at the 2023 schedule. Give you my Cliff's Notes version of that episode. The Pac-12 did USC no favors. 
You'll see it has an easy front end, and then it's going to be rough on the backside. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having these flashbacks. Have any of you ever been to Hawaii? There's a bar there. I'm not sure if it's still open. It's called Moose McGillicuddy's. And I wish I still had my shirt, but it said liquor up front, poker in the rear. Liquor as in liquor store, poker as in cards. So get your mind out of the gutter. But yes, the double entendre was there. The reason I thought about it is because of the easy up front, rough on the backside. I apologize. However, um, USC is going to play nine straight games before they get their needed bye week. And you're thinking, well, no, USC gets two bye weeks. Do they really? USC is going to open the season 3-0. If they don't, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of a lot of angry Trojan fans. They open up at home against San Jose State. Following week, they get Nevada, and then at Stanford. All three at home, and then they get a bye week. As I mentioned, San Jose State and Nevada are not going to be a problem for this USC team. Stanford, new head coach, whole new everything. So that bye week, um, look, it, the first bye week is great, I guess, because they're going to have a week off before they travel to Tempe to take on Arizona State, who also will be breaking in a new head coach, a very young head coach, who uh, used to be the offensive coordinator at Oregon, Kenny Dillingham. <laughs> But that's not what this segment is about. Uh, it's just kind of a pretext. I want to set this up. This is about future out-of-conference schedules. Look, some of you, at least the ones who aren't still cursing me for uh, showing up on the Locked On Ducks podcast yesterday, we did a little crossover show, um, and you commented uh, on my thoughts when I was asked about keeping Oregon, possibly keeping Oregon on future out-of-conference schedules. <laughs> There weren't some a few of the comments weren't very happy. Weren't too pleasant. Oh, play on words there. Uh, however, I said, yeah, you know what? Why not? Let's keep them on a rotational basis. Look, let me clear the air here so everybody understands. There's professional mark, there's USC fan mark. I have to be able to walk that line, straddle it. Pick my places when I'm working, doing the show with one of my peers. That's not a place for me to say Oregon sucks. Spencer knows my feelings. Let it right. Let it go. Take a deep breath, some of you. Look, I. so my point is, I have zero love for the program that thinks they were born on third base. Okay? Does everybody understand that? I've experienced Oregon fans at their worst in LA as well as in Eugene. With that said, stay on topic here. Um, I would totally be open for keeping not just Oregon, um, but each of the left behind group in the Pac-10. Let's rotate each. Let's rotate one of them every year maybe two, depending on how far out we want to go, onto USC's out-of-conference schedule. You know Notre Dame's going to be there annually. So you, you got one out-of-conference game locked in, right? Locked on. Let's look ahead. In 2024, USC 
when they join the big conference, they're going to open their season in Las Vegas against LSU. Oh, by the way, they also play Notre Dame. Before they play Notre Dame and in between LSU, San Jose State will visit the Coliseum. Looking ahead to 2025-2026, Lane Kiffin, he's Lumen, as are Notre Dame. So you got Ole Miss, Notre Dame in 25 and 26. Why not have one of those teams from the Pac-10 or whatever they're going to be up to at that time rotate in? Look, when the playoffs expand to 12 teams in 2024, and they are, strength of schedule is going to play a significant role in the, uh, which at large bids get the playoff invite. So, you know, the idea of needing to be undefeated or, you know, losing late in the season, that's going to get mitigated, at least I think so, by having the strongest strength of schedule possible. It's okay to have one or two losses. You're still going to get an invite to the playoffs if those losses are coming against quality programs. It's okay for USC to lose to a, a Notre Dame and an Ohio State in the same season. If you're 10-2, and two, you're probably going to get one of those invites at large if you're not the conference champion. I feel comfortable saying that. So why not? Yeah, you know, Oregon one year, the Beavers the next year. What about the weekender? You know, if you want to get sentimental, that's, look, that's one of those losses that's going to happen with USC and UCLA going over the big. You're going to lose out on the weekender every year going up to the Bay Area, either Stanford or Berkeley. <laughs> but uh, why not keep Cal or and Stanford on a rotational basis. By 2027, UNLV could actually be a Pac-12 member. I'm not joking. Does that make them more credible? Because they are already scheduled for USC's out-of-conference schedule in 2027. Notre Dame, UNLV. Like I said, as a fan, the more I see Oregon fan cringe with jealousy, the better. That's why... I, there was a little bit behind that, I think, that question. Although we were talking about recruiting. But look, let, let's look at it from a pragmatic point of view. Being Oregon on the field is going to feel very satisfying as a member of the big conference, right? It's, it's also going to keep, you know, it's going to give USC's West Coast players, because remember, USC is going to recruit the West Coast, Southern California, very hard. Uh, it, it's going to give those guys another opportunity to play in a high-profile game closer to home. And, the, you know, that's family and friend benefits. So, yeah, you have to kind of consider these things. Everything just not isn't on the surface. you got to peel back the layers, see what's involved. So have a heart, okay? And then you can step on theirs. So I read online somewhere that the Pac-12 and George Klyovkov, commissioner, he was in Dallas, and he's actually courting the Southern Methodist University, SMU, to join that void that, uh, that's being left behind. Interesting. 
also heard Tulane is being uh, considered. Seriously. And when I heard that, first thought I was like, you know what? That has to be some little dig joke from George sticking it to USC on their way out the door. Doubt it, but, you know, whatever. I just thought it was kind of funny that all of a sudden Tulane, out of the blue, I understand the Dallas market. You know, the Pac-12 was considering the whole Texas-Oklahoma thing a few years ago. That never came to fruition, obviously. But, and then there's some other names that are also being floated around. Um, I'm and Seriously, these names. San Diego State, UNLV, I just mentioned them, Boise State. Now, how serious are they being considered? I don't know. San Diego State makes a lot of sense. But remember when the issue was, oh, well, there's actually going to be just too much travel for the USC and the UCLA student-athletes having to go cross-country. Now, it's true that New Orleans or Dallas, you know, that's not Happy Valley or New Brunswick, New Jersey, where Rutgers plays. Um, however, it is another sign that uh, there's some hypocrites out there. I'm not saying any names in the Pac-12, but there were names. There, there were some some people who who spoke about <coughs> the challenges this would have on the student athletes coming to travel all the way across country for these types of games. Well, obviously, it's just a matter of time now, where. Uh, Regional conferences, they're done. Everything's going to be cross-country more and more. And let's just be real honest here. It's just a matter of time before this whole thing blows up into just a into a vacuum of power teams and everybody else down here. What it's coming down to, TV markets are more important than anything else. Period. End of story. And especially uh, if streaming continues to grow, Amazon gets into the picture. Look, if they throw their hat into the into the ball game with college football like they did with the NFL, man, ooh, you know, we it'll be interesting to see uh, the direction of how these conferences start to form themselves. I talked about uh, perception versus reality before. USC and Notre Dame, those are the only two major programs who have not played a one double-A team in the modern era. You know, UCLA, they caved in last year uh, when they uh, got involved with the historically black college university. Um, I think it was North Carolina Central. It was a close game, <laughs> believe it or not. So in the past, the perception was there were certain mid-level programs you know, that it was acceptable for USC to play, like a Fresno State, San Diego State, similar squads to that. UNLV just barely met the criteria. Well, if those teams join the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever they're going to call themselves, do they pick up some equity as well? Are those teams now, do the UNLVs, oh, well, they're a member of the Pac-12. Of course they're a Power 5 team. Are people going to frown on USC scheduling them? I don't think so. 
uh, especially since I'm of the opinion that I never want I want to see USC schedule Notre Dame every year. I love their scheduling, you know, an Ole Miss, an SEC team. I want another Power Five team on there, whether it be from the ACC, the Big Twelve, the Pac Twelve. Three out of conference games, the way it used to be during the Pac Eight. Yeah. All right, there you go. That's another episode of Locked On USC in the books. We'll be back again because we come at you five days a week. I apologize for the voice, for the sniffles. It's either allergies or cold. We'll get through it because what do we do around here? And until our next episode, we'll see you then.